Hello, my fellow warriors. This is Jessica Lewis, your host of The Good, The Bad, and The Narcissist, helping you break down and break through from those toxic people that we call narcissists, sharing stories, insight, and strategies as the powerful take our power back. For today's episode, I'm going to be breaking down the five key traits of a narcissist. And I always say as a disclaimer, I use the term narcissist loosely. There is a spectrum and we're all on that spectrum. And in fact, we need healthy narcissism for confidence and self-esteem. What I focus on is the unhealthy spectrum from the more self-absorbed or emotionally stunted all the way up to that psychopath. So thanks for joining. Let's dig in. The first of the top five traits is it is never their fault. So narcissists absolutely cannot take any form of criticism. Their egos are so fragile that they present this like fake facade to the world. And so any perceived slight, whether real or imagined, is going to be met with a reaction that will turn to blame you or shame you. So you'll see bombs. The the bombs are much easier to see. You're too sensitive. You're crazy. You're too whatever. But there's a lot of more covert ways in what they respond to where it's never their fault, that you misunderstood or you took it wrong. And if they have to, they'll say, well, and blame it on anything from the weather to their childhood. There is an inability to accept any responsibility and they're always the victim. So I tell my clients that, you know, in the times that you do get an apology, those that are more over or higher on that spectrum of really just unhealthy, toxic narcissism, you probably won't ever get an apology. But in in the times that you do get an apology um, from one maybe a little bit lower on the spectrum, really watch out for how it's a mechanism to just have you move on and forget about it. And, you know, feign feeling bad for how you misunderstood. So I tell my clients really that, you know, when you get an apology, pay attention to what's happening in your body, how you're feeling. And if you're feeling uneasy, you know, loop it back and just say, thanks so much for this conversation. I just just want to make sure we're on the same page. You know, what exactly that, you know, you're sorry for? I appreciate your apology. What is your sorry about exactly? I just want to make sure. And so that frames it in a way that you'll be able to see that they, when they describe it, you should be hearing how their actions made you feel, how they can see your perspective, and how they'll work to do things differently in the future. If you don't get any of the, those three sort of components back, it's really time to think about if you're dealing with a toxic person at best, and and a narcissist at worst. And I should have prefaced too, when I'm breaking down these five key traits, I'm talking in particular in the most intimate relationships we have, which is normally, you know, a romantic relationship. It can be applied to, to any relationship because, you know, they can be family members or friends, but I'm taking it from the perspective today of the romantic relationship. So number one, it's never their fault. Number two, all roads lead back to them. So they may understand empathy from a cognitive sense or sympathy, right? It's, it's how they mirror people to get what they want, but it's only a means to an end. They really, truly 
don't have emotional empathy. So being in your shoes, having compassionate curiosity for your story, and really trying to understand you and who you are. So you'll notice over time that you rarely ever get multifaceted questions to dig deep into you know, your story or situation. And truly they listen to respond, which ultimately leads bringing the attention back to them. So, you know, the question and healthy relating to, um, we do sort of take our perspective to try to understand the other person, but that's sort of a two-way street and it'll ultimately lead back to having that compassionate curiosity for you to truly understand your experience. And so you're often going to feel, whether it's in the moment or after the fact, unheard or unseen. And if you catch it in the moment of a conversation and you bring it up like, hey, I just want to loop back to this. Hey, I just I need to work through this a little bit more. Um, you will 100% be dealt with uh, one upping. So you're probably they just want you to get over it and get on and bring the attention back to them. Right. Remember number one. So they will one up you in order to silence you. Right. Well, they've gone through something bigger or better or harder as if you're feelings and needs in those moments don't matter. And then, or worse, you may get gaslighting, which they told you, well, you must have misunderstood. Or you're, don't you think you're overreacting a little bit? Or you may even get, they'll ask two or three questions and then start giving you advice without actually being able to understand your perspective and sit with you in that space of your feelings and needs. So ultimately, you know, if, you know, all roads lead back to them, you're going to be feeling confused and exhausted. Those are the two key things you're going to continually be, you know, dealing with on top of, you know, frustration and being unheard, but really lean into that feeling. You know, I help my, my clients do that when, when we've been brainwashed so much to really curtail to the needs and the wants of the narcissist. We forget that we got to bring it back to us and honor our own feelings and and really, you know, be, be honest with ourselves and what's going on here. So, you know, I, I, I say there's going to have to be preparation ahead of time, but you can test out this emotional empathy and their capacity for that. And that's something I do help my clients do so we can really get a grip on reality and what's happening. And, and let me tell you, it is so incredibly painful and difficult having lived my life over 35 years dealing with uh, narcissistic personalities all throughout the spectrum, you know, from that just lower level, emotionally stunted, you know, self-absorbed all the way up to that sociopath and psychopath. So these are, are things that I bring to the table and something that I saw in my healing that I would have really, you know, liked to have was that one-on-one -on -one sort of let's break down what's happening and, and identify what type of narcissist that you are, are dealing with. And I, and I will do a segment on that as well. But these are the overarching ones. So, so we talked about it's never their fault. All roads lead back to them, number two. And number three, uh, one of my my favorites is that what I call the creepy grins. So you will see, you know, in a typical stage of a relationship with a narcissist, you will have the idealization or the love bombing stage, and then the devaluation stage, and then the discard stage. So during that idealization stage, you're going to feel, you're, you're going to see this creepy grin that's like this starry-eyed, like Pepe La Pew, I know I'm dating myself here, that cartoon, where you're everything I've ever wanted. And, and you may hear these words too. 
and you're really gonna feel inside very uneasy. What they're saying is just way too much too soon or it's just way over the top. And you have to remind yourself that narcissists don't live in reality. They live in a fantasy that they've created in their own minds. And so they're truly unable to relate and be human and communicate and be authentic and vulnerable. And so they project whether that's their good or their bad. And during that idealization phase, they're projecting their good because they see themselves as superhuman, as like gods. And uh, that's how they're seeing you as an extension of, of who they are. Narcissists don't see you as a separate identity. They see themselves and then they see themselves in you. You, you, your needs, your wants, your human, your, you know, just your being is never fully respected and understood. So that's that creepy, ooh, it feels uneasy, starry-eyed, you know, in the idealization phase. And then in the devaluation phase, when they start to realize like, you're human like everybody else, right? They're not a god and omniscient and neither are you, but they need to see themselves in their world as that. And that's why they try very hard to have power and control over you. The grin that you're going to see is sort of this like creepy, it's going to be a time in a conversation where they're trying to bring you back into their fantasy land, right? That box that they've put you in, they want you to play. And it's during a conversation, you're going to see like their eyes almost popping out of their sockets. And they're like, have just this, they're just staring at you and maintaining eye contact, which is so in a very unnatural way. And so you're going to feel really uncomfortable. It's going to feel creepy. And you're also going to recognize that they're truly not present with you there. It's like their mouth is going, but they're on a mission to lure you back into their chambers of control and power. So watch out for that in the second one. And then during the discard phases, you know, if you've done some research on this is what people call the psychopathic smirk. So it's a moment when they've duped you by gaslighting or with their lies that they'll have this, it's a quick grin that you're going to have to pay attention to, but like there's a pursing of like the right upper lip and like this weird squint in the eye. And you're going to feel their contempt and superiority is on high. And this is their process of breaking you down to make you feel uh, less than and unworthy as they prepare for their discard, whether it's you doing it or them. But these stages are, are, are pretty set in and, and, and obvious when you're dealing with a narcissist. So I would say just be on alert for those stares and try to catch them very early in the relationship and come to grips with probably what's about to happen before, you know, you've got to do any healing and get out of it, you know, a situation, a relationship that's really not serving your higher good. Number four, they are masters of confusion. Um, M. Scott Peck wrote, M. Scott Peck uh, wrote a great book called The People of the Lies, decades old now, but I think he nailed it on the head that they, because they live their lives in delusion, in this fantasy, they are people of the lie. They cannot be real with themselves or real with others. And they navigate this world uh, by by covert and overt lies, which will come out in gaslighting and projection and to just maintain that grandiose godlike version that they want to be seen as in the world, even though deep down inside, they're very insecure, broken people who put on this facade and live their lives manipulating others to get their needs met. So you'll pick up on 
these hypocrisies or bizarre behavior at times. And if you ever call it out, it's going to be deflected or blamed back on you, blah, blah, blah. And really a few examples I think of where this can come up with any relationship with the narcissist is you'll continually hear half-truths or lying by omission or additions to a story you heard before in a new way. And that's meant to keep you at a comfortable distance. They cannot truly have true you know, intimacy with you. It scares the living daylights out of them. So um, there's just not that honest and direct communication and you're, you're spinning your wheels trying to make sense of thing. Again, I, I mentioned before, confusion is one of the first signs, if not a pivotal sign of, um, you know, you're dealing with a narcissist and you'll also see in conversation, the elusive or like overcomplicated word salad conversations. And that's really meant to break you down to the point of exhaustion, right? I said, number two, it's confusion. Number one, number two, it's exhaustion. Whereas you literally have to either fill in the blanks for what they're saying or, you know, and in essence, what they're trying to do is to condition you not to ask about certain things or, you know, to ask about certain things and really just rely on their version of truth. And they're pushing you and brainwashing you to, to just live in a space of denial to keep the attention and admiration continually on them. So you'll see changing of goalposts often, like this mental gymnastics, right? It could be something as simple as changing the time and place of meeting up over and over and over again. And it's ultimately there to try to break you down and exhaust you. Um, so again, constant confusion and exhaustion really, really take that time. And I do that with my clients to sit, okay, how are we really feeling and what's really happening? And let's bring it back to us and, and, and let's put a game plan together of what we're, we're really going through and really how to navigate um, through all of the stages. So the last and final one is the toddler temper tantrum. So psychologists talk about, you know, if you've done any research, right, that narcissists are like big babies. And, and it really comes from the fact that, I mean, I think it's back in Freud where you had, uh, you know, the narcissism stage of development is a three-year-old toddler. How, you know, in that moment of child development, they see the world as everything about them and through themselves. And, and over time, they gain what's called object permanence. They can see, oh, I'm in this world and you're in this world and we're navigating this all together and communication and owning our stuff as they got to own theirs is just part of living. But with a narcissist, it's always going to be about their world. And if and so in those moments where you have those slight of criticism or you're, you know, pushing too much to get some answers because you're exhausted, they will act out aggressively or passive aggressively. The aggressive, which I believe is more of that toddler, you know, age is, you know, they yell, they call you names, they can be physically intimidating with their stance or pointing a finger, you know, if they get physically violent, right, breaking things, throwing things or physically violent with you, that is really serious stuff. And really please, you know, contact the local shelter, contact, um, you know, different hotlines that are there because it's just always going to get worse and, and, you know, you don't want to be in a dangerous situation. Um, so you have the aggressive stance that they'll act out in their temper tantrums. And then you also have the passive aggressive stance. So I liken this to somebody who's probably caught more in the, you know, preteen um, ages. It's like this snarky, um, you know, sarcastic sort of put downs, you know, that just sort of sit in this, in the surface. Was that a compliment or was that a put down? 
And it, what it's meant to do is break you down and make you feel uneasy over time in order to, to really break down your self-esteem so that you rely completely on them for your reality and so that they can further bring you into that trauma bond to control you and to manipulate you and have power over you. So you'll see a lot of the passive aggressive stance of the covert narcissist where you're getting silent treatments or stonewalling and it is so painful, um, you know, versus even the, you know, the overt more aggressive stance. And both of them are just they're mirrors of the temper tantrum. That's what's happening in that moment. So if you want to face these head on, you've got to prepare. And it's going to take some help to do that. Um, you know, I help my clients sort of go through this. If you can't, if and when you can, always number one, go no contact. You know, prepare, get yourself out of there, go no contact, you know, just delete, block. But if you're married or divorcing one or you're living with one and it's not as easy to get out, you're going to have to learn the art of emotional detachment. How do you do it so that you can respond in the moment? That's what I help my clients with. And then you get into a space of, uh-oh, I just triggered the ten temper tantrum. And I've got to move into treating them like I would a child uh, is at whatever stage of development. And in this way, you could hold your boundaries in a calm and collected way. And you can state what you need and you can try to work through it. And sometimes, you know, people, like I said, people are changeable and moldable. And, you know, there's a spectrum of this. And it's really up to you where you want to, to spend your energy, if it's worth it, if it feels right for you. And, you know, it may be right for you to try out some of these tactics to really test Hey, am I willing to deal with this? Is this person willing to grow and mold with me? Or are they just too stuck in their ways that all that's going to end up is me heartbroken and needing to heal from the trauma from narcissistic abuse? So really taking a look at that and understanding it and preparing and coming with that knowledge it is really what it's all about. And, you know, I decided to step into this space several months ago, um, you know, corporate executive, that sort of thing. But just because I haven't gone through it, a very high conflict divorce and recognizing the history of my past, um, you know, my caretakers and being surrounded by this, that, gosh, I really wish I would have had somebody who could walk alongside me as a coach. So I had a, you know, a therapist that, you know, did some inner work and I had, you know, counselor and I've, you know, read all these books and, you know, it, it's like all the advice out there, it's good and it's a really big blanket sort of statement, but the amount of hours and years it took me to finally get to the place I am, I truly believe doesn't need to be possible. If you have the right support, at your hands that understands and breaks down, dissects, what type of narcissist am I dealing with? What's been my past? You know, I had to go through that process, you know, the people pleasing and, you know, the perfectionism, really where that came from in my life, you know, and then, you know, really just having that strategy to, to deal with whatever's coming up, whether it's internal or dealing with the outside world. So that's why I've just really, you know, super stepped into this space and helping amazing warriors like you. So follow me, you know, Instagram or, you know, if you're on Clubhouse, we host a room every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central and Friday at 6 p.m. Central talking about these things. We'd love for you to join. Um, my handle is Jess Lewis Coach, J-E-S-S-L-E-W-I-S-C-O-A-C-H. 
please follow me. Reach out. My, my website's on here too. I'd love to hear from you. And until next time, stay strong, my friends.